Well, next Sunday is a big day, and you will want to be here. You will not want to miss next Sunday. We're calling it Commitment Sunday, and it's really going to be a seminal moment in the life of Redeeming Grace Baptist Church. Uh, we're going to come together next Sunday. We're going to be uh, together turning in our commitment cards. Again, if you're uh, part of Redeeming Grace Baptist Church, if you consider this church your church home, uh, this is something that we are inviting you to take part in. Uh, the goal that we have is big. It's a God-sized goal. It's going to require a move of God's power and spirit to, to lead us forward to approach that goal. Remember, this is Holy Spirit work. Uh, we're, we're walking intentionally through a process uh, in order for us all to come together and seek the Lord together and what he would have us do individually and what that looks like corporately as we seek to be faithful to this opportunity. And what we've been asking all along is simply this, is that there would be 100% participation. Uh, if you're a member of our church, you consider this our ch your church family, that 100% of us would commit together in some way. For some of you, you have capacity to give significant gifts, mid to high level gifts that will bless this effort moving forward. And we just ask that you consider doing that. Uh, some of us may not have that level of capacity, but again, equal sacrifice. Sacrifice is going to look differently from family to family, from individual to individual. And as we all come together, not giving equal gifts, but equally sacrificing, and as we come and bring that together, everything adds up and every gift matters, no matter what it is you're able to do. And so as you give above and beyond, as you do so prayerfully, that's all we're asking is that you'll do so prayerfully, and that you'll participate in this, in this work as the Lord leads you to do that. And so uh, please do that. Uh, next Sunday's a big day. These little cards right here, if you don't have one, you probably should by now have three or four of these floating around as many times as we've talked about them and put them in your face. Uh, we have several available there on the Putting Down Roots table. Uh, next Sunday, bring this. Uh, we'll have several available next week as well. And so you're going to be turning that in. You'll be putting it in an envelope and turning it in during the service next week. If for some reason you just absolutely cannot be here, we just encourage you to mail those in to the church office. You can turn them in to someone on our capital campaign team uh, as well. Uh, and so just be sure that you're uh, taking part in that. Again, pay attention. If you have questions on how to fill that out, we put a video on Facebook. Folks at our table can answer questions. Uh, just fill that out the best you can. Uh, your name and stuff down there at the bottom. Nobody's gonna be calling you, checking up on your gifts or anything like that. It's just so that us so that we know what we can depend on moving forward together, okay? And so it's a great opportunity. Next week's big, it's huge. Uh, I look forward to seeing you here. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that's ours. And Lord, now as we turn our thoughts and our minds to your word, we ask that you, by your spirit, would help us understand it, and that you would help us to be transformed by it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been working our way through the first part of the book of Colossians over the last four or five weeks. Week number one, we looked at Colossians 1 through 14, of how when the gospel takes root in a person's life, everything changes. It produces fruit. It produces... Uh, transformation and Paul was talking about how he had seen and heard of how the gospel was bearing fruit and growing among the believers there in Colossae and it was encouraging so he urged the church and we are encouraged by the spirit to live lives worthy of this gospel 
Week number two, we looked at verses 15 through 20, which points us to the preeminence of Christ. The fact that he is over and above all things. He is the divine image. He is the head of the church. He is the savior of sinners. And that he is preeminent. He is first, which makes him the center of the universe, not us. And because he is the center of the universe, everything around him, everything that we are about, means that we ought to seek to put him first in our priorities, in every aspect of our lives. Week three, we looked at verses 21 through 23 where it highlights very clearly the gift of reconciliation, our need for it, the provision given, and the fruit that comes from it. The fact that we've been reconciled means that we are called to be ambassadors of reconciliation, that we're going to forth proclaiming the gospel, that we're to be ministers of reconciliation as we point people to Christ, as we see people reconciled to God. It's a call, really, to gospel-centered living. And then last week, we saw what it means to live as a faithful steward. As we looked at Paul's life from verses 24 through 29, not just a steward in giving, but really seeing the entirety of your life as that of a steward, that we're called to invest ourselves in the calling that God has given every single one of us to serve faithfully the king and the cause of the gospel, really to have a whatever-it-takes mindset to invest our lives for the sake of King Jesus and for the advance of the gospel and the good of our neighbor in this world. Well, today we're going to continue our journey through the book of Colossians as we look at verses 1 through 5 of chapter 2. As we see Paul's desire here, a Holy Spirit-inspired, certainly, desire, as he continues to think about the work going on there among the Colossian believers. He had heard good things about them. Remember, Paul had never been to Colossae. He had never seen these believers face to face. He's now in prison, and he's writing a letter to them to encourage them to stay the course and to stay firm. So let's pick up in chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Paul writes, he says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance and of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith. In Christ. You know, I know that over the last few weeks we've been talking a lot, a few months really, we've been talking a lot about putting down roots and what that means for us as a church in this community. But something that we must keep in mind is this getting our own building is going to be a great thing. But if we do not have roots that are spiritually healthy, a building is meaningless. One of the reasons we like this terminology of putting down roots is what it communicates to us physically, but really there's a spiritual idea behind it as well. If, if our roots as Christians are not strong and healthy in the gospel, then whatever else we do is completely useless. Redeeming Grace Baptist Church will not ultimately be known for the shape and the size of a construction project. 
We're excited about that. We're looking forward to having that. But we won't ultimately be defined by that. What we will ultimately be defined by is who we are individually and corporately as a church. What we're about. What our roots in the gospel look like. And brothers and sisters, if our roots do not go firm and faithful in the gospel of Jesus Christ, then no matter what we do physically, no matter what we do in this life, the the simplest little wind can blow by and just completely uproot us and ruin us. So really this morning is a reminder that we must put down roots, first and foremost, roots that are in the gospel. Roots that are firm and faithful in Christ. You know, as we consider Paul's goal for the believers in Colossae, these are things that any church should reflect no matter where they are, no matter the time in which they exist. Again, as we think about what God has called us to be, I want us to consider four priorities from verses 1 through 5. Four priorities that should drive us as a church. These are priorities that should help us understand what we are to be about individually in the gospel and corporately together. Let's look at these, just four four priorities. I want us to begin with the first one, and it's this, that we would have strong hearts. Look at verses 1 and 2. Paul says, for I want you to know how great a struggle. This brother has been struggling on behalf of these believers he's never met. He's in prison, and he has been struggling in a variety of different ways for the sake of the work of the gospel in this area, including this group of believers at Colossae. Notice he says that. He says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, about 10 miles down the road from where Colossae was, and for all who have not seen me face to face. You you begin to get a sense of Paul's pastoral care for the churches in this area, even people he had never met. I mean, he's addressing virtually all of those people here, people he's not met face-to-face, that he's been struggling for them and seeking to do them good in the Lord. And Paul understood. He understood how important this concern was. He had a deep concern. He says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, that you stay strong in the gospel, that their hearts may be encouraged, or some translations may say comforted, uh, probably the best, the best translation is strengthens. That's really the, the idea behind what he's talking about here, that, that your hearts would be strengthened, that they would be strong in Christ. He understood that Christians will often struggle, and especially a, a newly planted church now with, with, with all kinds of false teaching in the area going on. So you have this newly established group of Christians in the church at Colossae, all these false teachers now going around and, and, and trying to divert them away from the, the truth of the gospel. Paul knew how dangerous of a time in which they lived. Sound familiar? Things may change and look differently, but they really don't change, do they? We still live in a day and time where 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 we're surrounded by, by Babylon, really, right? You think about Revelation and, and, and all of these other things, this, this culture, this, this mindset that wants to destroy and to divert us away from the truth of the gospel. Paul understood that Christians will have unique challenges. Look at verse 4. If you just jump down there real quick, we'll pick back up with it later. But look, he says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. He knew there was a real threat to the church. 
He knew that there would be some of these believers in Colossae that would be tempted to doubt and question the validity of the gospel when they heard certain arguments come their way. Brothers and sisters, no matter where you may be in life, you and I are not exempt from the attacks of the evil one, the attacks of this world, the attacks of our culture that wants to destroy our faith. And when you are constantly bombarded and surrounded by other teachings that question or cast doubt on what you believe, it can be especially taxing and trying. You begin to doubt. Doubt takes place when we start to feel the force or the plausibility of a question or objection that's not easily answered. It happens regularly. I know there have been season, in seasons in my own life where I have been weary and I have struggled. I have questioned. I don't buy this lie for a minute that if you're truly a Christian, you never doubt your faith. That's just not true. There, there are... There are seasons and points in your life where you will question things. You will have sincere doubts. You will have sincere concerns and struggle for an answer to be given to questions that, that, that may be coming. So Paul's response was to struggle on their behalf so that their hearts would remain firm and strong and steadfast. Again, he's after their heart. We've talked about this in weeks past of how the heart is the control center of our life. It's the command center. It reveals a lot about who we are. It's the, the center of our will and emotion. It's the core of all that we are. It reveals a lot about us. It reveals what we value. And Jesus talked about that in Matthew 6, didn't he? He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. It exposes the true you. The things that you say and the things that you do are not just random things that happen. They, they come from your heart, don't they? And so it, it's the control center of your behavior, but it's, it's also the core of our thoughts, our beliefs, our convictions. The things that we hold to, the, the worldview that we have is, is all, all part of our heart. And that's why Paul says here, he says, I, I'm praying, I'm hoping that, that your hearts may be encouraged, strengthened. As Christians, we are in constant need of growth and encouragement. There's a lot lot in this world that just slowly tries to chip away at these convictions and beliefs that we hold dear. We face constant attacks from culture, false teachers, the evil one. And when this happens, it's not hard for doubt and fear and struggle to begin to creep into our hearts where we begin to, to question things and we begin to see these arguments as perhaps plausible. This is why we need strong hearts. This is why we need to remain firm in the truth. Not to say that doubt should never happen. It happens, but you shouldn't stay there. That's what Paul's after. And brothers and sisters, we want to be a church that's in the business of encouraging believers in what is true. One of the reasons we're seeking to put down roots in this community is that we would be a permanent fixture in this community because we want to be a place, 
Not just the only place in town, but a place among many other places where people can go and be regularly encouraged and strengthened in the truth. We want to be diligent. We want to care well for people's hearts. We talk a lot about heart disease today, don't we? Spiritually speaking, that's what we want to do. We want to be a cardiology center of sorts. We want to help you have healthy hearts, to have strong hearts, to have encouraged hearts. You know, a few things that I think about as I I think about what Paul's seeking to do here, as he's seeking to encourage them that their hearts would be strengthened, a couple of things that come to mind when I think about application of this passage, even in my own life and in our life corporately, is first, we need to be honest with our doubts and struggles. You know, we're not typically encouraged in culture and society in general to be vulnerable or to show signs of weakness. That's not usually what's encouraged. But brothers and sisters, this church ought to be a safe place where you can bring your doubts and your questions and your concerns and your struggles and know that you're going to be cared for through that season. This ought to be a transparent place where you can pull a brother or sister inside and say, listen, I have questions about something. I have a concern about something. I don't see how A plus B equals C. I need you to help me. This ought to be a place where you, that's, that's a normal thing. It wouldn't, you wouldn't be seen as strange. Like, what are you, how can you not believe this? It ought to be a place where you, you're vulnerable and you, and, and you bring the weakness of your faith at times to bear. It's a reminder that all of us should examine our hearts. And where, where, you know, to ask the, where, where is my heart weak? Where do I need strengthening? And listen, ask for help. Again, we, we live in this, this Western culture where it's not, not, not kind of the thing to do to, to show weakness or just to be vulnerable and to, to, to ask to reach out for help. It's the last thing that we often do. But where your heart may be weak, you, you need to be encouraged. Don't hesitate to ask for help in that. And brothers and sisters, those of you who may be walking strongly in your faith, put yourself intentionally in the position to encourage and strengthen the hearts of others. Be accessible to people. Be willing to invest your life for the good and well-being of other people's hearts. You know, we often talk about how we're to guard our hearts, and the Bible talks a lot about that. But one of the things that the church is called to do is to help people guarding their hearts. It's to help other Christians guard their hearts. You need to make sure your heart's guarded, but we have a responsibility to, to care well for the others as w- in our midst, in the family. So strong hearts is priority number one. That's what we want to be as a church, a church family filled with people, men and women, boys and girls, who have strong hearts that are encouraged by Christ, by the gospel. Number two, second priority is that we would have a united love Notice there in verse 2, he says that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. Being knit together in love. Paul continues on and he unpacks some some ways that that this strengthening can actually happen. Notice he shows here that, that not only is having a strong heart a pastoral priority, it's also a community project. 
This is what I was getting at just a second ago. Being part of a loving and forgiving community of believers is absolutely essential to being strengthened. You will not remain strong in your heart outside of the context of a church family. You will not remain strong if you are disconnected from a community of believers who invest in you and seek to love you. You know, the type of strength that Paul is getting at back there in verse 2 is not, is not just the simple pat on the back, hey, keep going. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about being knit together in love, this idea of intentionally coming alongside of others to do them good in Christ, to do them good in the Lord. Listen, this may be a shock to you. Not everyone in this room has it all together. In fact, I would just say this, no one in this room has it all together. No one. It's like a massive train wreck that just gathered here in this place today. Some of us are doing a little better than others, maybe, but, but we, we all don't have it together. You may have convinced yourself of that this morning when you looked in the mirror and, and you, you worked an hour trying to, to look that way, but you do not have it all together. And you need other Christians to come alongside of you, other Christians who don't have it all together either, but you've been empowered by the same Holy Spirit, you've believed in the same gospel so that you're united in Christ around that, and, and you come together being united in your understanding of the gospel, but also how you love each other. We need each other. And there are going to be times when, when we struggle with assurance of salvation. We struggle with doubts. We struggle with besetting sin in our lives where we, we just can't seem to get past something. And listen, you need someone else to come alongside you to encourage you, to spur you on, to hold you accountable, to speak truth into your life so that you understand all that Christ is meant for you to be. It's interesting that Paul highlights here that one of the primary solutions to our struggles is actually to be knit together with other believers. Notice how the text flows. He says that their hearts may be encouraged, and one of the ways that happens is being knit together in love. One of the ways that your heart will be strengthened is to be part of a community of believers. United in love, a love that even transcends things that makes us different from each other so that we are knit together, not in sameness, but in the love that God has called us to enjoy and to be part of through the gospel. Friends, we need to grow as a people who go well beyond the general pleasantries of how's it, go, how's it going today, I'm fine. We want to continue to cultivate a culture where we are asking questions that matter, where we give updates, not of our latest NCAA bracket, but updates of how we're doing in our spiritual disciplines, of maybe where we're struggling, 
or maybe where we read something this week that we didn't quite understand and that may have just completely blown us away and go against everything we've ever thought. Conversations that expose sin and struggle and fear and anxiety so that we can hear a word from another brother or sister that can speak truth into our lives and love us in Christ. As I think about just the, the opportunities that we have, you know, this idea of being knit together in love is something we all must be connect, committed to in some way. Growing in assurance and your understanding of the gospel is a community project. And one of the responsibilities you have to each other is to keep each other faithful, keep each other accountable in the faith. Listen, if you intentionally keep yourself on the fringes of church life, you are not doing yourself or this church any good whatsoever. You just kind of step in Sunday and that's it. You just don't count on the fringe. It's a dangerous place to live. It's dangerous. And I would just encourage you to, to get plugged in. If not here, somewhere. Somewhere. You, you need other Christians in your life. We face constant assaults from the enemy, and if you think that coming here on a Sunday for an hour and a half is all you need, it's a mistake. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad that you're part of this corporate worship gathering. I think that this is kind of the high mark of the week where we all kind of get together. The train wreck comes together, and we worship the Lord, and we, and we remind it of the gospel through our songs and through our teaching and our encouragement, mutual encouragement of each other, but you need so much more than this. If you struggle with having assurance or maybe doubt in your life, it could be. I, I don't know you and I don't know if you struggle or where you struggle or may have doubts, but if you're struggling in those areas, it could be the result of not being around godly people regularly to speak truth into your life. Those of you who may not be going through a season of struggle or doubt, you know, your presence here is great. But it's a reminder to us that we need to open our mouth, to be willing to listen, to empathize with people, to, to be good listeners, so that we can, when we do speak, we can speak faithfully and speak well into people's lives. Friends, you love people best when you move from the surface to their hearts. And that takes work. And that takes presence. And that takes intentionality. We need to be united in love. And that's one of the main ways that you express love to each other is by gathering and being part of each other's lives. And as you do that, you're being strengthened in your heart. A third priority, though, is that we would have a settled conviction. This is kind of where it all ties together around this idea of assurance. Paul understood that one of the biggest threats to this early church was the presence of false teaching. Again, we don't, we don't know exactly, has some good guesses of what the false teaching was, but he doesn't specifically highlight what false teaching was being prominent in this day and time in this particular region. 
but he knew that there was false teaching going on. And he reminds the Colossians of what was at the heart of his struggle for them. He, he identifies, really, another, a further purpose of being strengthened. His, his struggle was ultimately for their understanding of the gospel. He wanted them to remain rooted in the gospel. And so he shows that his struggling was so that they would reach, he says, that they would reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. We say it this way. While a loving community of believers provides for us the context of assurance, it is Christ and only Christ who serves as the source of our assurance salvation. This is a great context for it. Christ is the source of it. Robert Murray McChain once said, for every one look at self, take ten looks to Christ. You know, when you begin to look at self, and you begin to think of self, you see pride, you see self-righteousness, you see anger, you see things in your life where you may be tempted to even wonder, am I even a Christian? And Paul chimes in here and says, remember where, where assurance is ultimately found. It's found in Jesus. It's in Christ that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found. We sing about this all the time. In Christ alone, my hope is found. Before the throne of God above, I think it's the second verse, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. It's not inward, upward. We're looking to Christ. We're looking outside of us to get a good understanding of who we truly are. It's when you only look inside and you look to self and, and you only see you that you're going to grow weary and that you're going to grow in your doubt. You're going to think, am I, even, am I even saved? And if, friend, that's just a reminder. When you look to self for assurance, you're just reverting back to a works-based salvation. It's Christ who saves you. It's Christ who keeps you. Look to him. And this is why the church is so important. It's because you need people, not just a preacher, you need people to come alongside of you and remind you of that. Hey, quit looking at yourself. Look to Christ. Quit looking to your own efforts. They all fall short. Look to Jesus who came and lived a life of perfection, who died a death on the cross for sinners, who was resurrected on the third day to declare victory over sin, death, and hell once and for all, who went to the Father's right hand, who's coming again for us. It is him and only him that can save, and it's him and only him that can secure you. And if you're looking anywhere but Christ, then you will have doubts. If you're here today and you're struggling with doubt and, and you don't have certainty about your standing before God, you should not leave here today without talking to someone. Where you can find true hope and true assurance, and that is in Jesus Christ and all that he's done for the sake of sinners. Look to him and cast your anxieties upon him. Embrace Him as your hope. 
Because he is the only one that can save you and keep you. Friends, one of our responsibilities as a church is to keep, help keep your sights fixed on Jesus. And that's what we're committed to do. And if we ever fall short of doing that, you should fire us. Get rid of whoever, whoever would lead you in any other direction, get rid of them. Because this is what our ministry must be built upon. It must be built upon Jesus Christ and him alone. We must have a settled conviction about this. It's not Jesus plus something, it's Jesus alone. But a fourth priority is the firmness of faith. We'd have a firm faith. Paul affirms that he's in this with them. Notice the community that Paul even exposes here. Just Even though he's not there, he's, he's there. Right? He's not there physically, but he's there. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. He uses military terms here, good order and firmness of faith. These are terms that would often be used in reference to military matters. He points out that the well-ordered Christian is someone who does have a firm faith in Christ. And Paul's been encouraged. He says that earlier on in chapter 1, that he's encouraged by what he's been hearing. He's been hearing, he's heard how they are bearing fruit. And that encourages him. But as he writes, he's writing to remind them to stay the course. He's writing to remind them to keep their eyes fixed on Jesus and to have their faith firmly rooted in him. They're going to hear things. They're going to hear plausible arguments. Arguments that may sound like, oh, this may, this sounds good. Rather to stay firm on what is true. Friends, that's what we want to be about as a church family. We want to be a community of believers that are strong in faith, that are united in love for one another, that we are settled in our conviction about the gospel, and that we're living out a faith that is firm. You know, when you think about this, it, I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? This is, this is true Christianity. Churches seek to build themselves on so many other things than this. Brothers and sisters, this is all we have. This is all we have. The gospel. And it's all we need. So when we think about putting down roots, I want you to think about your life from several different vantage points. It may be that you're here today and you're not following Jesus. Maybe it's clear to you, maybe it's not, but maybe that you're here today, you're not a Christian, you're not following Jesus, you've not put your hope in him. Maybe you're curious about him, maybe you have questions. We want to help you. I would just say that your, your first step of obedience today would simply to put down roots in Christ. Put your hope in him. He is your only source of salvation and assurance. You will not earn your way to heaven. You will not make your way to heaven based upon good standards or, or that you present for yourself or some kind of moral behavior. Your only hope of heaven is by putting down roots of faith in Jesus. And we're here to help talk with you. Get someone, talk with them. If you're here with your friend and you have questions, talk with someone. 
but what that looks like. Another application would be to, to put down roots in a local church. Maybe you're here today, you're searching for a church family. Or maybe you're here and you're a member that needs to take intentional steps towards the idea of being knit together in love, what that looks like. Put down roots in a local church. Why? Because of what we saw here in the text. It matters that you find strength and encouragement from other believers. It's part of God's means that he has ordained to encourage and strengthen you. So lock into a local church. If this one, praise God. If it's another one, praise God. There are faithful churches in this community that love the gospel, that love Jesus. We're not the only show in town, and we're not a show, trust me. But we love Christ, we love the gospel, and we would love nothing more than to have you put down roots here with us so that we can be mutually encouraged and we could love each other well in Christ. If you're a member of our church, and maybe, maybe that spoke to you earlier when I said how it's not healthy to be on the fringes. Maybe this is a reminder to you as you think about putting down roots that, that your roots are, are really more to, to connect more with the body of believers here in some way. And as a church family, as we put down roots in our community, we want to be a strong community of believers as we stand firm in the gospel. When you think about what's before us and the opportunity that's ours, it's an exciting time. I've said this before, if you're, if you're kind of new to us, this is, you've, you've called us an exciting time. Not that there's been boring times before, this is an exciting time. A lot that's coming up and a lot that's before us as we seek to be part of laying a foundation, literally and spiritually, for generations to come. And my prayer my prayer is that until Jesus comes again, that there would be a community of believers, and Lord willing, a place one day, where the community can say, if you want to know about Jesus, you can go to that place and be part of that people, and they will tell you all about him, because that's who they worship and that's who they serve. May that be the case from here until Christ comes again. So brothers and sisters, as we seek to put down roots, let's first be sure that our hearts are rooted in Christ. That we would be strong in heart. That we would be united in love. That we would have a settled conviction that Christ and he alone is our hope. And that that would be demonstrated in our good order and firmness of faith. You know, Redeeming Grace Baptist Church is poised to make a huge impact for the sake of the kingdom in our community and literally to the ends of the earth. And I can't think of a better time and opportunity to invest in this work together. Because that's going to serve us faithfully in the present. And it's going to serve us well in the future. And all that the Lord has before us. We're looking to put down roots. But ultimately, we want to have roots that run deep in the gospel. And that's our prayer. That's our hope. Is that our roots would run deep in the gospel. That we'd be firmly planted in Christ. And that when these winds of other things come our way and begin to try to chip away at our faith, that our roots would stay strong in the truth and that we would continue to be that beautiful tree planted by streams of water that bear fruits for the glory of God until Christ comes again. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for your word that encourages and instructs and convicts. And Father, it's our prayer this morning that as we hear it, that we would be faithful to respond to it. Holy Spirit, would you help us? Would you give us understanding? Would you expose in our hearts how we need to to respond to you today in faithfulness? Lord, it may be that we need to respond simply by putting our hope in Christ. And so, Lord, my prayer that you would move upon the hearts of those that would be here today that, that, that have not known you as Savior and Lord. God, that you would impress upon them their need this day. You give them faith to believe, to trust in all that Jesus is. Father, would you help us as a church to remain strong in heart, to be, to be united in love. Lord, we're not a perfect church. We've never claimed to be a perfect church, but God, we know that we have areas of growth that we need to all be growing in. And Lord, as each of us are committed to having strong hearts and to have, helping others have strong hearts, that will look more and more pleasing to you each and every day. And so, Lord, we ask for your help because we know that we can't do that on our own. God, would you protect us from error and falsehood, false gospels that are so prevalent today. Lord, false narratives, false things that would seek to chip away at our faith. God, guard us from these errors and keep us faithful in Christ. Lord, it's all about him. So, Lord, we ask that you would help us day by day, moment by moment, to be a people firmly rooted in, in the gospel and in your glorious grace. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.